Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 3, and we'll look at the text in just a few minutes. It's great to have the kids with us in here, and I understand that um, they may fidget a little bit and drawl, and I'm okay with that, so parents don't feel self-conscious about that. I, yeah, yeah, I uh, used to try to preach to to both the kids and the adults, and nobody was happy when I did that, so now I just... Just preach like I do every week, and I really believe that our kids soak it in, even as their eyes may not be on me, they're still listening. Well, I have to tell you my favorite preacher's joke that I tell, you know, every couple of years. There was a Sunday school class, and the teacher asked the students, what is brown with a bushy tail that jumps from tree to tree? A little boy raises his hand. And the teacher calls upon him, and he says, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer must be Jesus. Isn't that true? Even in our 242 group, sometimes we, we, we get a question, and the answer is, well, yeah, Jesus is the answer. As we continue to explore the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I, I want to give you a very important teaching today. This is going to prevent many of you from trouble or from a wrong spirit. And I want to speak to you about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And much like the squirrel story in Sunday school, the answer is going to be Jesus. The end of the sermon is this. I'll just give you the conclusion. The Holy Spirit exists to exalt Jesus. Now, I know you would all agree upon that just because that's the right answer. But we're going to look at a lot of scripture to show you the reason for that. One of the things that I do as a pastor is I get invited and attend many, many fundraising banquets. Literally every month I get invited to a fundraising banquet. And these banquets are all pretty much the same. A lot of effort and expense goes into them to create really beautiful centerpieces on the table and great music and a video production and a speech. And we all kind of know the reason for this. The reason for all of the trouble is at the end, they're going to ask for a donation. You just know that's coming. I remember going to one in particular that was really well done. I mean, a little, little bit above everything else, a cut above the typical fundraising banquet. Everything was so nice. The music was great. The video was quality. To my shock, the banquet food was actually delicious. Everything was going awesome. I was literally thinking, this is much better than most of the banquets I attend. But guess what they forgot to do? They forgot to ask for the money. <laughs> they, they, they did a very poor job when they did. It was almost like an afterthought. There was no compelling reason to donate. There, there was no really driving force to send people to what the purpose of the gathering was. You know, we can get everything correct and have all the bells and whistles and all the extra stuff that appeals, that seems good. But in the end, if we forget about the purpose, if, we, if in our case, if we forget about Jesus, then we've wasted our time. As we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we begin to discuss the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, it's quite possible, it's quite possible to 
be in an atmosphere where you sense the spirit, you sense the power, you sense maybe things that you haven't before, maybe even see things you've never seen before. And things occur such as physical healings or things that we would consider signs and wonders. But the problem is this, if those healings and signs and wonders and that powerful experience does not point people to Jesus, then it may not be the Holy Spirit and is not the Holy Spirit. This is somewhat for us today, a preventative message. As your pastor, I want you to see through the scripture that we can never get enamored with things of the spirit if they don't point to Jesus. Now in every religion, there is some ecstatic kind of mystical aspect to it. You can experience power in almost any religion. A biblical example of this is Pharaoh and his magicians who tried to match the power of God when Moses brought signs and wonders. And what this, what I believe is demonic spirits try to emulate the Holy Spirit and try to distract people. So the point we need to see is this, is the level of power does not equate the level of biblical accuracy. So if, if you're looking to equate the power of God with the theological biblical accuracy, those things do not parallel. There's biblical precedent for having experiences that are ecstatic, that are full of power, that are manifestations that are interesting that don't actually point to the true Jesus. Now, I say this as, as a warning to you because if you discover a group or discover an experience and there's physical healing, there's a sense of God's power, there's signs and wonders, and those manifestations do not point to Jesus, then it doesn't matter. There's no real fruit. This is common and this happens. So now the question is, the question I think sometimes too, why bother? All right, if the power of the Holy Spirit is so tricky and so scary and so questionable, why even bother? And, and, and a lot of the church has taken that position. Let's just, well, you know, just forget it. Well, here's the reason why we bother. Because the power of the Holy Spirit changes lives. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us overcome sin. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that breaks the power of sickness. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us overcome addictions and overcomes different things that bind us and chains that bind us. And so if we're just scared of the power of the Holy Spirit because we don't want to be part of the abuse or we don't want to be part of, of anything wrong, then we cut off an important part of the Trinity. And that's why we want to look at the Holy Spirit. You know, driving a car is dangerous. And negative things happen to people every day when they drive cars. But most of us don't eliminate that as a form of transportation because the good is so much better. It's not the car's fault, right? It's the driver's fault most of the time. Pharmaceutical abuse is real. People take medicines, they overdose, they abuse their bodies. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't take medicine. Food is necessary. Food is needed. But when we abuse food, it doesn't go good for our health. But we have to have it. So 
when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we need to realize that the abuse of the Holy Spirit, the misrepresentation, the bad theology about the Holy Spirit, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault, it's man's fault. So we can't be afraid of something good for us and say, I'm just going to eliminate that from my life because of these particular risk factors. When God says, no, listen, the Holy Spirit's our helper. And that's the title of the series. I want you to think about how the Holy Spirit wants to help you. I put on my Facebook yesterday, I said, how has the Holy Spirit helped you this week? Several people responded. And, and you, can, you can join that conversation if you get bored later on today or tomorrow. We'll, we'll use Facebook for something good, encouragement. Because the Holy Spirit wants to help every segment and aspect of your life. The Holy Spirit's not a church thing, it's a life thing. The Holy Spirit is with you always. The Holy Spirit's with you in every moment. And he wants to be involved in your life. And the Holy Spirit is for all of us. I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit is not just for the Thursday morning prayer group at our church. The Holy Spirit is not just for certain denominations and certain types of churches and certain types of Christians and certain types of people. The Holy Spirit's for every one of us who believes in Jesus. Because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are one. You can't have one without the other. You can't have Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. So it is. I'm going to give you some points today, and I'd love for you to take notes. Here's the first point. This is expanding last week. Last week was the Trinity Sunday. The church around the world celebrated the Trinity, and we'll emphasize that again now. The Holy Spirit is distinctly separate from Jesus and simultaneously one with Jesus. You said that doesn't make sense. That's why it is a mystery. It's called the Trinity. The word Trinity, as I mentioned last week, is not in the Bible, but it's the most important doctrine we have. And, and really hundreds of years of debate occurred until the church fathers said, this is part of being a Christian is you believe in the Trinity. This is so important. One of the reasons this is important to us as modern believers is this. Do you know the Trinity is the great differentiation between Islam and Christianity? Because one of the greatest sins in Islam is to believe in the Trinity because they incorrectly believe we are polytheistic, meaning we believe in more than one God. No, that's not the case. Here is a good theological definition. It's in your notes there. Here's the Trinity. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God and there is one God. This is an important working definition. You don't need to be able to repeat this verbatim, but you need to understand the concepts of this. God eternally exists so as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God and there is one God. This is so important. And in the coming days, when you become, when you begin to have conversation with Muslim people or people in Islam, it is growing with speed in America, though it is a very, very small percentage of our population, extremely small percentage. But um, if you don't speak with a Muslim in the future, you'll definitely speak with someone who is sympathetic to Islam. And, and this is a great differentiation. This is the difference. Islam believes in Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus is God. And they believe that's blasphemous because they only believe in one God, Allah. We, we 
as revealed by scripture, confirmed by church tradition, believe in the Trinity. God is one in the form of three persons. It's, it's, it's hard to grasp. It's, it takes faith to believe that. It almost takes revelation to believe that. Now, something that is a little more close to home, I would say to most of us is the Unity Church. And I think the Unity Church has a chance to grow in popularity uh, in this century. The Unity Church really came uh, loosely, loosely based off Ralph Waldo Emerson's teachings, and then it was given a Christian face. Now, Emerson does have some really inspiring quotes, and, and I use some of those in different contexts. When I first started preaching, and I had this one sermon that I would preach, like at FCA, and, and this is when I was in high school, and, and um, I would use a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. It was a good quote, but now that I preach the gospel, I'd say, I'll leave the Emerson quotes to the motivational speakers. Here's the reason why. Emerson attacked the Trinity. And he believed uh, that the Father uh, was pantheistic, meaning uh, if you went outside and looked at your garden outside and said, in the garden, beautiful, God is in the garden. Or if you went to the Grand Canyon, God is in the Grand Canyon. Therefore, Jesus was only a moral teacher. He wasn't God. He was just a, an effective teacher to humanity. And the Spirit is simply that which is between us as people, that which unites us. And that was, that's the Unity Church's version of the Trinity. But the scripture reveals to us that God has distinct characteristics and distinct personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're all three important, and this is the essence of our faith. Now, how many of you are ready for the Bible? I told you it would take a few minutes to get to Luke 3. Here we see in Luke chapter 3 an example of the Trinity in action. Now, when the people, this is verse 21, Luke chapter three, verse 21. Now, when the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. Now, look at what happens here. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. We see there the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and then the voice of the Father says, this is my son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, confirming one another. John 14, 16, these are the words of Jesus. He says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is the gift that Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus gave us a gift, he's not to be feared. He's not to be minimized. He's not to be marginalized. He's not to be diminished. He's not to be labeled. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. This is a gift from Jesus. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go so that the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will be with you and the Holy Spirit will be your helper. The mission is determined by the purpose of the one who sins. When Christopher Columbus, when he began to explore the world, he was sent by Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain, and they wanted him to go find a route to Japan or to India. So when he came to what we now know as the Caribbean, figured out what he thought was a route, why did he not stay and explore the rest of the continent or just hang out? Because he was on mission, the mission of the ones who sent him. So 
He turned around from the Caribbean and returned back to Spain. The, the, these are the things that, that mission, th this tells us, you know, mission drives experience. Mission drives purpose. The one who sins determines the characteristic. Here, here is what I want you to write down. The Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus. This is really important to remember. If he's sent by Jesus, he has purpose. So the Father will see, sent Jesus, then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us. John 20, verse 21 through 22 says it this way. John said to them again, Jesus said to them again, excuse me, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So the Father sends Jesus, Jesus sends us. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't send us by ourselves. Jesus didn't send us alone. He sent us with a helper. He, he sent us with the Holy Spirit. Here in John 20, this was almost a, a precursor of first fruit. He breathed upon them. They received the Holy Spirit and it was almost foretelling, foreshadowing at chapter two when the wind of the Holy Spirit came and filled the entire church. But we know this is when we get Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit. We don't get part of the Trinity and not all of the Trinity. We get all of God, we get all of the Father, all of the Son, all of the Holy Spirit. Now, many of you have experience and filling of the Holy Spirit after salvation. That's legitimate, that's good, but that doesn't mean that you didn't have the Holy Spirit before you were saved. It just means that we have more of a measure of him when we seek him, when we ask for more of him, when we lay down our sin, when we have spiritual attention. So we're filled with the Spirit, but being filled with the Spirit doesn't necessarily mean, doesn't mean we didn't have the Spirit before. Because Jesus comes and the Trinity tells us that when we, hit, when we have the Father and we have Jesus, we have all of the Holy Spirit. Now you want to write this down, it's not in your notes. There are at least 25 different names in the Old Testament and the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. Speaking about the Holy Spirit, he has at least 25 different names or different derivatives of names. Here's kind of a sample of those. And we'll just look at these real quick. Romans 8, 9, and, and you can look on the screen to see these notes because I underlined these words. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. Now, what's the Spirit of God? What's the Spirit of Christ? It's the Holy Spirit. We don't have to get hung up on vernacular here. We don't have to say, now, wait, are we dealing with the Spirit of Christ here? Are we dealing with the Spirit of the Holy Spirit? No, it's all the same God. And so, do you want to call him Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of Christ, it's the same thing. It's him. And, and we didn't know this is because sometimes we outthink ourselves, and we, we may come up with some erroneous doctrine. Well, I was we need to use the right words to get the right spirit. No, because the spirit is one. And so we don't need to get hung up on this. Another sample of this is Acts 16, 7. Again, the Holy Spirit's referred to as the spirit of Jesus. This is where we say, well, let's, we tell children, ask Jesus into your heart. Well, that, that's fine to say that. They're, they're asking, they're getting Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, the whole thing. And, and semantics don't matter as much as recognizing the triune God as supreme and no one like him, no one comparable. Philippians 1.19 says it this way, spirit of Jesus Christ. So there's just a little bit of a change there. Those things don't matter. What matters is him whatever, we, we, we want to call him biblically accurate things, but the spirit is moving all the time. The father is, is sending Jesus and Jesus is lifting up 
excuse me, the Spirit is lifting up Jesus and making Jesus bigger in our hearts. That's why Jesus should be greater in our minds, greater in our hearts, greater in our attention when we experience the power of God. I've been in the ministry vocationally for 21 years, and I've done lots and lots of weddings. And for about the first 15 years, I would do weddings as I would usually get this question. So have you done many weddings before? And I thought, well, I can use this to my advantage. Just they, they think I'm a rookie still because of my baby face, pre-beard, you know, especially pre-beard. And I shave this thing off, man. There's a lot of face behind this beard, trust me. So I would, you know, people would say, say they would say, have you ever done a wedding before? And I've literally lost count of how many weddings I've done. I, I, I've done many, many weddings and I don't do quite as many as I used to. Uh, because of my schedule and using other pastors now, but especially after being a youth pastor for 10 years, uh, when those kids all started getting married, I, I started doing tons and tons of weddings. Done weddings inside, outside, done weddings in the woods, weddings on the beach, weddings out of town, weddings in town, every type of wedding you can possibly imagine. I've never done a wedding barefooted though. I draw the line somewhere, okay? I keep my shoes. I think I did sandals one time, but the bare feet, no way. Okay. So I've done weddings every which way you can imagine. So they're all done differently. Now, interestingly enough, I don't do many weddings inside churches anymore. Isn't that weird? The millennials don't want to get married inside the church. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't think it's really that great, but now they're like at some barn somewhere or some state park or something like that. So weddings happen all the time. So weddings happen different places, different times, different ways, but they all have at least one thing in common. Here's what they have in common is I talk to the groom beforehand and the groom is a little bit nervous and whether the, the, the groom has a, you know, a, a, um, a tuxedo on or a Hawaiian shirt unbuttoned to his navel or whatever the case is, they're all nervous and, and we're getting ready for the wedding and, and I tell them the same thing. No one's going to pay attention to you. They may look at you briefly, but when the wedding march starts, how many know that the attention is on the bride? I mean, that is the one thing about every wedding. And, and really it's biblical in a way because Jesus put the attention on the bride uh, when he turned the water into wine. He didn't put attention upon himself. So the wedding for that particular ceremony is about the bride. So I'd tell the groom, relax, bud. It doesn't matter if you trip. It doesn't matter if, it, if your tie is on crooked. It doesn't matter. It, what only matters is the bride gets the attention. And the ceremony is dedicated for her to get the attention. Here's the last point I want to give you today. The Holy Spirit puts attention on Jesus. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus. John 15, 26, Jesus said this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. Any spiritual experience we have has to point to Jesus, has to make the gospel more clear, has to make the work of the cross and the resurrection and the coming of the Lord more real to us and operate more in the heart of God. John chapter 16, verse 12 through 14, Jesus said again, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine 
and declare it to you. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit always leads to Jesus. So this is a pastoral message. This is a pastoral teaching. Consider yourself warned today. Consider yourself warned by the word of God today. If an experience does not take you to Jesus, deepen you in Jesus, make you more excited about the gospel, make you more excited about the cross and the resurrection, it may not be the Holy Spirit. I want God's people to be healed. I want God's people to be delivered. I want us to experience his presence, but His presence, there, there is not his true presence without Jesus. And this is, this is the barometer for us. This is the safety to us. This is the word of the Lord for us. Let's stand together.